0: Today is Wednesday, September sixth, two thousand seventeen. Time for episode twenty-four of the Barnhart Podcast. If you're in Southern Florida and you're listening to this podcast on September sixth, run! Hurricane Irma is now being referred to as a Category Six storm by some media outlets. The storm currently has sustained winds of one hundred eighty-five miles per hour, making it the strongest storm ever recorded in the Atlantic Ocean. By any metric, this storm is a monster it's showing up on seismographs, the governor of Florida has already declared a state of emergency and evacuations have been ordered, the National Guard has been activated, and the Pentagon has already dispatched amphibious assault ships to follow in behind the storm and render disaster and emergency relief at the earliest possible moment. Everyone listening today, please take a moment to say some prayers for everybody in the path of this storm that they remain safe and that they stay in or get in the state of grace if they're not able to evacuate. Right now, this storm is projected to reach Florida as early as Thursday. However, there is good news regarding Thursdays.
1: Yes, um, it's it's been a, a great week liturgically on uh, on this end. Not only, I've already made the announcement that we have, um, we've got a priest who is now committed to saying a Requiem Mass every week. The intention on, on the Requiem Mass is for... It's just it's just saying a requiem for every person, um, all of the faithful who have died within the previous calendar week. So what this means is that everyone who dies in in, for example, this week from from Sunday morning to, to Saturday night, they will have a requiem offered for them next week sometime. Now, um, w- we don't know exactly what day this is going to happen because the way it works with priests is, um, it's, it's often a function of the liturgical calendar. If there's an open day, that is to say a day that doesn't have a a specific feast, those open days are called ferias. And so what priests will oftentimes do is if they have a requiem mass to say, it will be said on the open feria day during the week, um, Or otherwise, he'll just he'll squeeze it in somehow. Um, But it's it's now going to happen. Everyone, everyone who dies, everyone who dies is now absolutely guaranteed to get a requiem mass said for them within in the next calendar week after their death. Um, and I, I already received um, this little note came appended to a donation that came in yesterday. And it said, um, let's see, thank you, Ann, for everything you do. I'm especially thankful for your podcast, from which I'm learning a lot. There you go, super nerd. And I'm very happy that you found a priest willing to offer weekly Requiem Masses. What an amazing blessing. Now, now here's the key point that she makes. I'm at the age where I'm losing many family members and friends, and it is a comfort that they will be remembered in a true Requiem Mass thank you and please let this priest know that he will be in my prayers every day as you are super nerd and the priests who offer the benefactor masses too. So there you go. Um, It is, it is a tremendous comfort and it is a tremendous solace to know now. Um, I mean, maybe other people have been doing this and we just don't know about it, but here we have a situation where it's public. It's public, it's out there on the internet, it's Everybody can know about it. Everybody has the means of knowing about it. So long as you know we have a we have a website with a with a host who isn't dropping us. But so far so good. Um, that yes. A, a, a solemn Requiem Mass, not solemn in the liturgical sense, solemn in the sense that it's not one of these ridiculous Novus Ordo, canonize the dead, um, you know, the dead is now in heaven. I've even had people tell me that, you know, there have been eulogies delivered at at funerals for that they have attended, and things as spectacularly stupid as the dead person is now an angel in heaven. I mean, things like that, routinely being said at Catholic funeral masses, um, and and also I made I made reference when I posted this in writing on the blog about oftentimes these funerals descend into into stand-up comedy routines. Basically, um, somebody in the family or some friend or somebody gets up, and in the context of a eulogy, which there isn't even supposed to be. Um, what that usually is, is it's it's in the priest, instead of giving a homily, where he talks about, you know, death, judgment, heaven, hell, the four last things, um, moving the people there present to not only pray for the repose of the dead person, but also to think about themselves and the four last things in terms of themselves— um, that That just never happens anymore. it never happens anymore, and oftentimes the priest will then turn over the homily to someone who gives a quote unquote eulogy, which the the trendy thing now is to just is to make it you know almost a roast you know a roast is when um, you have some person who 's the guest of honor, and people get up and tell funny stories and so on and so forth about them Frequently and, just, and
0: insulting just, stories.
1: Insulting stories, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And so now, in, in our own little way, even though the family won't be there, obviously the body won't be there, you know, if, if you believe in the supernatural, if, if you, if you have any faith and any, any acknowledgement of the supernatural realities of all of these things, you realize very quickly that it it kind of in a certain sense i won't say it doesn't matter it, of course it matters but the holy sacrifice of the mass in in the the context of a requiem is going to be offered for all of these people who have died the entire host of heaven will be there all quadrillion quintillion however many angels there are they will be there present the entire communion of saints the saints both known and canonized by the church and all of the saints in heaven that are that are unknown to us everybody's there everybody is present at every holy sacrifice of the mass and so the entire host of heaven will be there praying for all of these people and that's not to say that the host of heaven isn't at the 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 horrific novus ordo funeral because they are but there there is something to be said for the fact that a proper requiem, a solemn, reverent—if um, <laughs> if I can use the term—theologically correct um, requiem mass with with prayers that are appropriate and prayers that you know beg beg for mercy for the for the dead and and also you know incite those there present, the living, to think about these things and think about their own life, death, judgment, and their eternal fate, heaven or hell. It's all going to be happening now. And and that has merit and, and that has meaning. And so uh, this has been a goal of mine for quite some time now. And now, thanks be to God, it is done. We've got it. Every week, this good priest is going to say a Requiem Mass, for that intention Um, a couple quick points about um, uh, from questions and and email comments that I have received first of all someone someone sent an email asking if if a requiem or the intention could be made for a person who who is sick and dying no 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 requiems are for the dead period full stop If a person is still alive, you you don't say a funeral mass for a person who's still alive. You know, you you say you say some other mass for a person that's alive. No people that are still living are not included in this intention. It's not because we're being mean or anything. It's because it, it just logically does not apply. Go ahead. Super nerd.
0: There are masses for the, the sick and those are infirmed or the mostly dead. Um, so yeah, it's a different class of, of liturgy entirely for one, for somebody yeah. once, they, once they're dead versus when they're still alive.
1: Absolutely. Um, the other thing is, you know, people are asking sending in emails and saying well could you please include this and such person well that and such person in, in a certain sense is already included but let's say um, you know you you have a parent who's been dead for decades and you want to have a Requiem mass said specifically for them you you understand you can totally do that all you need to do is go or call a Latin mass parish and this is this is done all the time. You pay a mass stipend, which, you know, I've heard mass stipends as low as five bucks. Um, high end for mass stipends um, in, for, in trad communities, the highest I've ever heard is 20 bucks. Okay. So we're not talking about, we're not talking about anything that's financially onerous here. You call, you get, you find a priest and you say, I would like to schedule to have a requiem said say for example for my father and if your father has been dead for 50 years that doesn't matter there are requiems still being said for um for example um i believe that there's a requiem said every year for uh king louis the of france who was executed of course in the in the french revolution i believe i believe it's a requiem that they that they say for him um there are requiems said all the time for people who have been dead for decades and decades and decades. Um, Because remember, unless the church has canonized somebody, the presumption is, is that, they're they're probably in purgatory and, you know, just to be safe, you need to pray as if they're in purgatory. If they are no longer in purgatory, if they've been completely purged of all attachment to sin and they have now entered the beatific vision and you have a requiem said for them, that's not a problem because because the grace from that requiem is redistributed to oftentimes a person who is still in purgatory but is completely forgotten on this earth. Most people who have ever existed are completely and totally forgotten. They are no longer in anyone's living memory. And there's, I, I wouldn't even want to speculate on how many souls there are in purgatory who are completely forgotten in this world. And so, and I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, super nerd, you can you can correct me on this if, I, if I'm wrong. Our Lady, being that she is the mediatrix of all graces, that this is kind of her, one of her... Uh, tasks or provinces or whatever you'd want to call it is that she um she distributes these graces and she determines who gets what and so even even if the person that you have a requiem said for has already achieved the beatific vision you're still doing a tremendous act of charity just in general for the poor souls in general um, because those graces will be will be redistributed and applied to those who need them. So um, there is that. So you can go and you can have a requiem said for anybody, no matter how long they've been dead. And it's not very expensive. You just need to contact a trad parish. Um, uh,
0: if you're in financial <laughs> straits and you can't even afford a donation of any kind, yeah, tell them uh, just, that. just ask the priest and uh, almost almost guaranteed that they'll, they'll they'll make an exception for you uh, it's not the amount of money that matters i mean it, it's there, there, there is a a, a certain um, element of the transaction that that you are giving something in, in order to have the mass set. it could be as little as a penny if that's all you've got uh, but even if you don't have that don't worry about it just ask the priest and explain it uh, on the topic of, of praying for for the dead something that we do on uh, we got our kids trained on uh, early on is every time when we're on a road trip Every time we pass by a cemetery uh, one mm-hmm. of the kids will we, first we train them to spot the cemeteries but then to pray a, a, a quick prayer for the for the um, for those in Purgatory if there's anybody from that cemetery in purgatory or just anybody else in general. And once you get them trained for that, the great thing is, I'm looking at the road. They're looking everywhere but the road, so they actually spot it. Sometimes we're wondering, yeah. where is it? Where, where did you see that? So it's it, that. That's that's good. To, that's a good practice to uh, uh, to to develop when you're on on the road, and it just gets monotonous and boring at times. Hey, think about the dead for a minute, uh, and and pray for them.
1: Indeed, and then Super nerd, do you want to talk about the Rorate Cheli Purgatorial Society?
0: Yes, we were talking about, um, of course, obviously the the um, the requiem now for your, for your benefactors. Um, well, not just for your benefactors, but the the Mm-mm. the every week uh, requiem. And I pointed everyone out
1: everyone who's died. Yeah.
0: Yes, uh, this is something that the the blog Rorate Cheli has been doing for a long time now. Uh, Rorate If you've never uh, been to that one, R O R A T E. I think is how you say spell Rorate off the top of my head. Um, they have some no, called no,
1: their, their, their URL is, um, rorate hyphen And
0: if you go to rorate.org, it forwards to that.
1: Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's a nice, I didn't know that I've been typing the whole thing in all this time. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Super nerd. Learn something new every day. Okay. Rorate.org. Good yes. to know.
0: Yes. They, they have had for quite a while what they call the purgatorial society and it is Along these lines as well it, it they have um priests around the world uh chipping in to pray soul pray for uh um, requiem masses for the the uh faithful departed so that that's a, a, another vector so it's it's not just um the the priest who who agreed to say the requiem that that ann lined up but uh you know praying for the dead is, is something where um you, you you may have heard it said that that you can never outdo the generosity of god uh you will never find a more faithful friend than somebody you can help spring out of purgatory. They are never going to forget who it was that prayed for them while they were completely helpless and could do nothing to merit, uh, for, on their own behalf. So pray, pray for the dead, pray for those in purgatory. They, they will, they can pray for you. They can't pray for themselves. Um, and, and there are numerous stories, uh, of, of the, the intercession of of the, the souls in purgatory helping out, um, people on earth, uh, talking about, it doesn't take a lot of money for, for, um, for saying a mass, there, there are stories that, that range from, uh, I want to say this was in the twenties or, or maybe it was the thirties. Uh, and I, I, the setting was someplace like like uh, the northeast United States. Uh, some young lady who had been primarily doing housework uh, had lost her job, and she uh, went to the the parish to pray. Remembered that she had not had a, a mass offered for the poor souls in quite a while, um, gave the last of her money. To the priest, saying, "Please, could you say a mass for the poor souls? It's, it's a devotion I have, and I haven't, you know, had a mass said in a while. Um, please do it." And, and he said yes. And 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 um, apparently it was right that day. So she went to the mass, and as she was leaving, a young gentleman uh, approached her, gave her an address on a piece of paper, and says, "I understand you're looking for work. Go to this location." So she did, and the lady answered the door, and they had a discussion. And um, the lady was surprised that she knew to come to her house for for a job because the previous housekeeper had just been let go that day and while they were talking, the young lady stopped and pointed at a picture on the mantel said "That's the man who who gave me the the um, the directions at which point the the mother kind of turned white and realized that was her son who had died a couple of years previous and so oh. the the obvious implication here is that her prayers for the poor souls may have sprung him from, <laughs> from, from purgatory, but definitely the her devotion to the poor souls, um, a, the grace was given for, for him to make an apparition to say, hey, you, you're looking for assistance. You've, been, you've rendered assistance to me. And she was taken in not just as an employee, but as a daughter at that point. So the, the poor souls will, will definitely remember you and help you out.
1: Wow. What a story. So we've got we've got the requiem, we've got all that going also this week, as if that isn't enough. Yesterday, done deal, we have Thursdays now covered. So we have a priest who will be saying um, mass for all of my benefactors and supporters on Thursday. So now we're up to Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, and I was laughing to myself last night and thinking, um, so we've got we've got the work week basically covered, and now it's just the weekend that's open, and most people are naughty and get themselves in trouble on the weekend. So hopefully, hopefully, if we can get three more priests somewhere who would just be willing to commemorate um, Anne's benefactors and supporters on Fridays, Saturdays, or Sundays— Ideally, of course, I would like to have all seven days of the week covered so that all, all of you out there listening um, would know every single morning when the sun rises and you get up, you'll know, wow, somewhere in the world today, the holy sacrifice of the mass is going to be offered for me and for the salvation of my soul. So that's the goal. But now we're up to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which is just awesome. Um, and I'm so happy now and things are moving forward and (laughs) hopefully now, you know, we don't get the website taken down again or something like that. Cause I can only imagine that Satan is getting pretty annoyed, annoyed with, with these things. So, but we'll just keep going forward, man. And St. Michael is enjoined multiple times a day, every day. And, and we'll just keep going. We'll keep going on offense. That's the only way to be. You can't, you can't you know, live your life on defense. You've got to run at them and you've got to be on offense and you've got to be proactive. And that's what we're going to do.
0: Absolutely. Yep. And if the website gets taken again, taken down again, um, we'll just put it up somewhere else. It may it that's it make, right. it, it make it a little more difficult. Uh, you know, all, all of the backup routines are still, um, they, they've been modified for the new hosting provider. Uh, everything is, is backed up. So if the, if the website goes out, it's just a matter of putting it back up someplace else. Um, it, it's annoying to have to do that, um, to say the least, but, um, you no, know, it's it's not going to go away forever. At least not this week. Not this week. Usually, I've got a more fluid transition than this, but uh, we've received some email feedback from folks who say converts just need to shut up. Um, as a cradle Catholic, Anne, how do you respond to that?
1: Well, you know, this this the genesis of all of this is there was an article printed um, by one of these Novus Ordoist Francis Church catholic co- columnists and he, he went down the list and went down the list of all of the names of all of these people who are converts you know um who are catholic pundits journalists et cetera, et cetera. and you know basically accused them of of uh, having psychological problems and being pathological, and um, and basically just saying converts just need just need to shut their mouths and stop talking. And um, you know this has been several weeks ago now, and it caused quite a furor and quite an uproar. And, a lot of people were were desperately trying to walk this guy's remarks back. And I think he even tried to walk them back. And he he issued one of those non apology apologies, you know, um, that's so that's so typical of our of our very narcissistic society, Um, people completely unwilling to um, ever admit that they were wrong or did anything wrong. And so the apology came, I'm sorry, if anyone was offended, not I'm sorry for what I said and did, but I'm sorry if anyone was offended, thereby very passively and sleazily, um, turning, turning the blame onto essentially for lack of a better word, the victims themselves. Um, it's not, I'm not sorry that I said this thing, which is untrue and bad and wrong, I'm sorry these people are so messed up that they were offended by this, you know. So casting the blame on the victim instead of taking taking the blame themselves. Um and you know, I, I just sit and laugh at all of this, you know. Um obviously as a convert um <laughs> there's there's much to say and and much to unpack here. Um the, the thing that that just comes to the forefront of my mind is I am hard-pressed to think of a group of people who have, have been such such catastrophic failures in terms of the practice of the faith, the transmission of the faith, then cradle Catholics of, of the last 50 years. Um, we're looking at people who have just sat by and watched while the church— was was destroyed from the inside out, and, and just didn't say a word. Um, I think back to before I entered the church 10 years ago, I think back to, you know, when I was a teenager, but especially more after I went to college. And, you know, I was pitched by pretty much every Protestant and even um, even non Christian groups like the Mormons, I was aggressively pitched by Mormons all throughout um, all throughout college and and let me be very, very clear and repeat that again. Mormons are not Christians. That is not Christianity. They they are, first of all, it's a con. Um, it's, it's very similar to Scientology in that respect. But when you sit down and actually read about Mormonism, these people are talking about um, deified space aliens. And I, I'm not kidding. They're talking about deified space aliens. And the point of Mormonism is that if you... Um, Sign up with their with their cult and and their initiation rituals are almost entirely word for word and gesture for gesture the same as freemasonic uh, the Freemasonic rituals because it's all a con. I mean you know Joseph Smith was just making making shit up and so he took the Masonic ritual book and just lifted it and plagiarized it word-for-word, gesture-for-gesture in many cases, and turn that into his cult initiation ritual. Any time you've,
0: you've got a religion who has secret knowledge uh, that you yeah. have to be a member of their group to learn, uh, that's yeah. a warning sign right there.
1: Indeed, indeed. And so a lot of people just don't even realize this. Um, and so, for example, the, the the so-called godhead, according to Mormons, is not triune, but there's four. There's father, son who are both uh, deified space aliens who, you know, evolved into, into um, a godly state somehow. Um, Jesus and Satan are, you know, space alien brothers, apparently. Um, and then God the Holy Ghost and God the Holy Spirit are two different things. So there's actually four in my... I mean, it's, it's the biggest bunch of transparently stupid nonsense you've ever heard in your life. If you just sit down and do like five minutes of research on the internet about it. What do these people actually believe? It is just jaw-droppingly stupid. And just as a quick, quick aside, um, I noticed that Glenn Beck is is back in the news um, this week. The blaze is failing. He's laid off like 30% of his staff. Um, I could have told you from the very, very beginning that Glenn Beck... Even though he was, he did some work a few years ago and did some research that was true, good, and valid. I could have told you that the guy was an absolute train wreck who should be avoided like the plague for one simple reason. Dude's dude's a Mormon. Dude converted to Mormonism because apparently they were nice to him while he was a slobbering, falling down, drunk. Okay, if Glenn Beck does all of this research during during like the Obama the first term of the Obama regime, he did all this really good research and exposed all these connections and so forth. Okay, if you're capable. Of doing that level of research and finding out the backstory and the connections with all of these nefarious characters who are the heart and soul of the Obama regime, um, are you are you honestly telling me that you've not sat down and researched the spectacularly transparent and droolingly stupid fraud that is Mormonism? No, oh, of course not. He's he's on board with Mormonism because he determined that it was beneficial and lucrative for him to be so. Um and again, Mormonism has a lot to do with with money and and business interests. They're some of the biggest landowners, they're some of the biggest cattle ranchers. It's a tremendous, tremendous uh corporate structure with a huge net worth. And um you know and again the 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 so-called theology is a fourth-rate science fiction novel very very similar to Scientology and if you can't see that then it it we're getting into questions of you know willful ignorance willfully ignoring that which is right in front of you and glenn beck has been guilty of that since the beginning so it's no surprise that that beck is a train wreck and that you just if if you have any sort of capacity for discernment at all you just you steer clear of the guy it's it's just not good so um, pitched by everybody while i was in college you know would i remember being being taken to you know You know church being held in a hotel ballroom where a bunch of people would just get up and just be really awkward and sing horrible songs and it was and it just went on forever and it was just it was just awful you could just everything about it was just awful and uncomfortable Everybody, you know, you have to come to church here, you have to come to church there, and I would just leave every single place and say, you know, that this is not this is not what it could possibly be. All of this stuff that happened in the Old Testament, clearly everything that happened in the New Testament, all all of this stuff happens and you're telling me that the the pinnacle of all this and what we're supposed to be doing is is to go sit in a hotel ballroom and have you know 20 something women 20 something year old women get up and sing just excruciatingly horrible songs and have some guy give some ridiculous rambling sermon for 30 minutes about how you need to you need to come to better understand the the work of the holy ghost in your life. Okay, w- would you mind expanding on that a little bit? Is is that all there is? This is all there is to all of this? The Jews went through all that stuff in the Old Testament. Christ went to the cross, rose from the dead, and, and this is it. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And then, of course, after in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, as the saying goes, well, I, I stumbled across books about the Catholic Church. And despite the Kennedys and despite all of that, I kept reading and reading and reading. And you get to the Mass and you realize you realize what the eucharist is you realize that the mass is in fact the representation through the bending of time and space of the once for all sacrifice of calvary and it's it's nothing less than that. it is nothing less than that. It is the eternal it is the eternal todah sacrifice, the eternal th- sacrifice of thanksgiving being perpetually continually offered to God the Father by God the Son, his own flesh, priest and victim, and we are allowed through the church to participate and be present in all of this. And and you say, okay, yes, this, this makes sense. This makes sense. This is what all the Old Testament stuff was pointing to and leading up to. Calvary, New Testament, our Lord's life, his resurrection, the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the, the, the church, the papacy, everything. Yes, it's all driving towards this. This makes sense nothing less than god offering himself back to god himself as the as the only sacrifice that could even begin to make up for for the sins of man the only the only sufficient act of reparation that could ever be done that makes sense none of the rest of it makes any sense whatsoever so um here we are converts enter the church. And I have received this this lecture several times from cradle trad Catholics who have told me that I take all of it way too seriously. Um, It is that Catholicism is not supposed to consume your life the way that I have let it consume my life. Now, remember, these are Trad Catholics who were telling me this, telling me that because I did not grow up in a, a Catholic ethnic culture, that I do not understand the proper, the proper uh, place and magnitude of the church in your life. And that my quote unquote problem is that, again, I take it all way too seriously And, um, I, I would just, I would just stand and marvel listening to these people say these things. And then, you know, time, time passes and you learn and you hear and you learn about people. And there's, there was one person who gave me this lecture who at a later time, you know, months or years removed from the lecture about you know you you just need to calm down and you take it all way too seriously intimated to me that they had told their spouse that they had given them permission to cheat on them as long as they didn't embarrass as long as you don't embarrass me I don't care if you cheat on me just don't embarrass me okay this is a person who was lecturing me about how I don't get it and and you know because I'm, not, because I'm not a cradle Catholic, I just simply don't understand and I take it all way too seriously. Uh, let, let me fill you all in on something. You can't give anyone permission to commit a mortal sin ever. You can't give your spouse permission to cheat on you because every sin is a sin, is a sin first and foremost against Christ Christ. If you give your spouse permission to cheat on you, you are actually um, egging on, inciting, ratifying mortal sin. You're saying, go ahead. Go ahead and flagellate Christ. Go ahead and nail him to the cross. It's fine with me. I don't care. Okay, you're now participating in mortal sin. And this is a trad Catholic who's saying something like this to me. It's very sad, but... The truth of the matter is, is in today's world, by and large, generally speaking, people who have converted into the church and then beyond that had had what we a lot of us call the second conversion into traditionalism. And thankfully, I was only in the Novus Ordo paradigm for a little over a year uh, until I made the second conversion to, you know, traditional Catholicism and so forth. But we are the people who have researched Um, We are the people who have sat and thought about these things. Um, We are the people who, it seems to me, on a percentage basis, have, have a higher probability of having what, again, I use this phrase without apology, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not just viewing Christ and his church as this, just kind of this, what would you call it? A, a lifeless corporate structure, or just just kind of a lifeless matrix within which within which you subsist. There tends to be more of a tendency towards a personal relationship with Christ, and um, certainly converts tend to be better catechized. Now, sadly, in the novus ordo paradigm. Most of the converts who are coming into the church in the Novus Ordo paradigm, and I can testify with my own eyes and my own experience going through Novus Ordo RCIA, um, most of the people there were there because their their spouse or fiance was Catholic, and the person was converting into the church in order to satisfy appease whatever the catholic spouse and i've told the story before i'll tell it again very briefly the the easter vigil after the vigil in which I entered the church. So I entered the church in 07. So the Easter vigil of 08, I went, I went to the Easter vigil mass, of course, um, at the Novus Ordo parish in which I was received into the church. And the priest opens the homily by saying, I want to extend a very special and warm greeting to all of our catechumens and candidates who have just been received into the church. Um, We want to, I want to, Assure them of our our prayers and our and our best wishes right now because we realize that we'll probably never see any of you at mass ever again. And the entire church erupt, erupted into uproarious laughter. Uh, and it goes back to the old axiom: it's funny because it's true. And and what's sad is that. They knew. They knew it. the The parish priest knew it. The RCIA director and team. They all knew it. They would see year after year these people coming in, converting to Catholicism, getting in, and then you, you'd never see them again. You'd never see them at mass again. Um, and they knew this was going on. And what what a what a terrible, horrible thing! Not to mention the fact that these people were never taught that you know what. You have a Sunday obligation, keeping the Sabbath holy. You are obliged to go to mass every Sunday, unless you have a really, really good excuse, which generally means, um, like for example, if you were physically unable to travel, like people in Houston, for example, there's probably people in Houston who have not been able to fulfill the Sunday obligation last Sunday because they physically couldn't get to a mass. Okay. That's a good excuse. Or you're so sick that you can't leave the house. That you can't leave the house. Okay, that's that's a good excuse. Not going to mass because you don't feel like it, or just not going to mass because you're under the impression that you, you just don't have to. It's no big deal. People in our CIA, they are not being told, they are not being taught that it is a mortal sin to not go to mass on Sundays. And so you bring all these people into the church and then immediately, almost immediately, they fall into mortal sin because they're blowing off the Sunday mass obligation. Um, It's it's just awful. So there are a group of us converts, especially those who end up in tradition, as adults, we've read, we've researched, we've learned. And now certainly the learning curve is steep and, and hopefully it never ends and it shouldn't ever end because the depth of the church and the, you know, the knowledge of the church is just inexhaustible. God is infinite. It's all inexhaustible. The mysteries of of the holy sacrifice of the mass, you can, you can never, ever know too much. In fact, this is an interesting point. One of the people, again, a... A person who holds himself out on the internet as being a super duper trad Catholic, um, once said to me, standing just a few feet away from me, I'll never forget the the exact uh, the exact uh, environment too. Long story short, this guy said, "I am so over." the Roman right, the more I learn about it, the more I realize how truly lacking and deficient it is. So what this guy who was later revealed to be a pathological diabolical narcissist and a sacrilegious sodomite, what he was saying was that he was so elite and, and so great and so, and so above everything That he had plumbed the depths of infinity, which is what the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is. He had plumbed the depths of infinity and found it lacking. Found it lacking. And therefore, he had to move on to something that was bigger, better, better. Worthy something something that was worthy of his presence and his participation and what that was was the Byzantine rite and just going off on a little aside here a word of warning um I, I do recommend if if there's no um, traditional Roman rite parish close to you yes if there is a a uh, a Byzantine rite Catholic church not an Orthodox church but a Byzantine rite Catholic church many of which in the US are Ukrainian um if there if there's one close to you go check it out but I'll give you a word of warning the liturgical fetishist sodomites it, the the Byzantine rite is the new um it's the new trendy sexy thing for them it's the new elite thing for them so what you're seeing is you're seeing these sodomites Going and and insinuating themselves into these Byzantine Rite parishes for two reasons. First, the the reason I just mentioned, because they need to feel themselves to be elite. And they're seeing now too many people coming into um, coming into the traditional Roman rite. Um, it used to be, even just 10 years ago, the old mass and the traditional Roman right used to be just traddy land used to be even smaller than it is today. And so there was still that feeling of elitism and we're different and we're superior and we're over and above everyone else, which by the way, we're not, um, in it as people ourselves. Um, obviously the Roman right is, is intrinsically superior to the Novus Ordo because the Novus Ordo was conceived in malice. Um, but, In terms of the people there present, I mean, you know, nobody's nobody's any better than everyone else, and everyone is entitled. Every every single human being is entitled as a human right to have access to God, His Holy Church, and you know the 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 sacred rights of that church, be it the Roman right, be it any of the Eastern rights, any of that. People have the right to have the right R I G H T to the right R I T E. Everyone, um, but there's that spirit of elitism. The other thing that bears mentioning, and this is extremely unpleasant, but it's completely true, is that in the Byzantine, in the Eastern cultures, which you know tends to be people who are ethnically Eastern Europe, Slavic, um, obviously into Russia, so on and so forth, there hasn't been the effeminization. Uh, or the feminization of the Eastern liturgy that obviously has gone on with the Novus Ordo. And so as a result of that, there tend to be far more men in these parishes and there tend to be far more young men in these parishes. And a lot of these sodomites are going to the Byzantine right because they, because they want to, to see all of the eye candy in terms of cute boys who are in the Byzantine rite and going, you know, going to divine liturgy and participating in the parish. And so there's also that sickening dynamic going on that they're chasing cute boys. The faggots are chasing cute boys into the Byzantine rite. For those of you listening, if you are, you know, Ukrainian Catholic or anything like that, I cannot, I cannot uh warn you in strong enough terms if you see these men who you who act like faggots and you strongly suspect are faggots and they roll into your Byzantine parish you need to be extraordinarily diligent about either a driving them out if if you see anything going on but keeping a super super close eye on them because are they there chasing boys are they potential abusers of the young boys in your parish? And just beyond that, again, I cannot em- emphasize this with enough vehemence. Sodomites are toxic. They are absolutely toxic. And it only takes one to get into a community of people and just wreak Absolute havoc. They're catty. They're backbiting. They pit people against other people. They establish cliques, etc., etc. They're just they're just no damn good. And if you let these people infiltrate your parish, not only are you running the risk of of young men being being predated by these by these sodomites, you're running the risk of just having your parish be be destroyed by the toxicity that is intrinsic to the sodomite. So Please, Eastern Catholics, be be aware of this. Be very, very careful and keep a very close eye out for these things.
0: Especially if you have a local Latin mass, because I'm very aware of the phrase, if you can't Tridentine, Byzantine. So if you have a Latin mass available in your area uh, that's not that far away, be a little more observant to what Anne's talking about right now.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: If you're someplace Um, where there's no Latin mass for a four-hour drive, then... Uh, having people you've never seen before show up may not be such a sinister thing, but be wary anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you've got you've got this Roman Rite Catholic confirmed bachelor, and he could be going easily to his own Roman Rite trad parish, but instead he's rolling into the Byzantine. <laughs> Keep a close eye and, and observe. Use common sense. If a man acts like a fag he's probably a fag. Okay. You don't, don't try to, don't try to talk yourself out of it. Trust your gaydar. If a guy acts like a fag, he's probably a fag. And at the absolute minimum, you've got to keep an eye on him and you've got to keep him away from teenage boys and young men, because every sodomite is a clear and present danger to children. Every single one without exception period, full stop. You cannot be too diligent. You cannot be too diligent. So yeah, I mean, just the constant lecturing about how converts need to keep their mouth shut. Well, you know, I'd be happy. I would be, would that it were, would that it were that, Barnhart.biz, as it exists now and what the thrust of it is right now, were completely and totally unnecessary. Would that it were that Catholics, Catholic clergy, so on and so forth, were, were doing what they should be doing and that they were the ones who were clearly, bluntly, forthrightly explaining the faith to people. Would that it were that they were the ones who were, you know, calling out heresy, explaining to people what's going on with the Bergolian anti-papacy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Would that it were, would that it were that I could, you know, go get a job cleaning hotels or something like that and, and just focus on me and me going to mass and me praying the rosary and even me praying the office and just, and just shut Barnhart.biz down. Would that it were that that would be absolutely fantastic. And after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, I dare say that there won't be a Barnhart.biz anymore if I if I survive, because it won't be necessary. It won't be necessary. Um, And so that's what I would say to the cradle Catholics, look around you, look at the spectacular failure. The spectacular failure of not just your own lives, but your your incapacity and your unwillingness to explain even the most basic rudiments of the faith to anyone, to, to, to such that the, the Catholic Church looks to be in any way attractive. Meanwhile, here I am over here, only 10 years in the church, only 10 years in the church, and... I have a few essays up that explain things, and people send me emails all the time and say, "I'm I'm entering the church. I want in. I want in." After reading what you wrote about the mass, after reading what you wrote about um, the the immaculate consumption, uh, the immaculate consumption, the immaculate the immaculate conception, and the assumption of Our Lady into heaven, after reading your explanation of that. I'm on board. I want in. Even in the midst, even in the midst of an anti-papacy <laughs> in which, in which, um, as I just posted in yesterday's essay, the the apostate anti-church is occupying the same sacramental, liturgical and juridical space as the one true church. There is an anti-pope actively you know, right there in in front of everybody, and people are still saying, "Wow, when you explain the truth of Catholicism to me, I want in i I want to join this even as as heavily under attack as the whole thing is. Why because it's true, the and if it's is, true,
0: the truth is very attractive and 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 to the point of why do why are converts the most vocal yeah I'm sure people have heard the phrase the zeal of converts." And obviously, the highest truth is the most um, important and the, and the most attractive to share. And for somebody who wasn't raised Catholic, once they once they see the truth, it it, it really, especially if you come from a, a an evangelical or Christian um, background where you where you have the practice of sharing your faith anyway. Once you once you uh, discover that truth, you want to share it all the more, if for no other reason than to drown out everything you did before. But <laughs> just just in in um, in little ways. I mean, as, as a computer programmer, I mean, I I know colleagues who discover functional programming and they just have to tell everybody that this is the only way to do it going forward. And it doesn't matter if you know what the heck that, that even means. But the point is that when you discover something new and what you perceive to be better, you have the tendency of trying to share it with people all the time. Back in the early 2000s, when I discovered opera for the first time, uh, it, which I believe is the highest form of, of musical art there is, I'd, you know, just that is actually, <laughs> the whole phrase as an example. It's something that, that I, I want to share with other people because I want them to be excited about it as well. And it also, uh, ironically, uh, allows you to uh, appreciate the Catholic liturgy from which it, it came uh, initially. The whole point being, as, as somebody who was born and raised Catholic, I don't have that zeal because I've always had... This training—it's not something I discovered. The best I can do is rediscover it. And for me personally, I love talking to converts because they have that zeal, and it helps me rediscover and fall in love with the faith all over again. Not that I ever fell out of love with it, but it just kind of—you get used to it after a while, and you forget about it. That—that this is something that's so amazing that a lot of people don't have. So, uh, if if you you don't have that, that, you know what—that
1: speaks to the best show on EWTN. Super nerd, do you know what the best show on EWTN is?
0: I have no idea. I've never watched EWTN.
1: Oh, really? You never watched (laughs) EWTN? Okay, the best show on EWTN, with all apologies to Raymond Arroyo and all, and and that whole crew. The best show on EWTN is the Journey Home with Marcus Grody. That was Monday night viewing. Just that was must see TV for me for years and years and years. And what it is is Marcus Grody every week interviews a convert. The, or or a revert or a hardcore revert, you know. Um, and it's just fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And even though these people, well, I mean I I converted into the Nova Sordo, these people are almost all converts into the Nova And it, It's just fascinating to sit and listen to these people's stories. And you know everyone is completely different and everyone has its own unique twists and turns. Absolutely fascinating.
0: Well, that and makes a whole lot more sense all of a sudden, because I was just describing to somebody this past weekend, um, the other podcast, which I will start at some point. I mean, I, I, I get, I'm getting some emails about that. Hey, super nerd, when are you going to start your podcast? That's in development, uh, still. And, and, uh, I've got two or three shows lined up where I am, I'm going to be talking to, to converts and somebody said, well, maybe you should call it the journey homes. Like, what are you talking about? So that makes sense all of a sudden, but it's, it's yeah. not going to be just all converts. It's going to be a, a lot of stuff really.
1: Right. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic show. And I think the other thing about converts is that, you know, you realize, you realize that I, I well, I'll, I'll say this just speaking for myself, you know, up to a certain point, if I had died, if I had been killed in a car accident, um, I remember I was in a, I was in a, 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 what are the big collisions on the interstate called? You know, when Fire-ups. there's. Pile up, a pile up Um, six, eight cars. And I was right in the middle of it. And oh, my my brand new Pontiac Firehawk convertible. Oh, oh. And um, a dog, a German Shepherd ran out onto I-25 in Denver. And the person at the front, instead of just greasing the dog like you're supposed to, slammed on his brakes a pile up ensued. I was I was about the third car of eight in all of this. And so I got it. You know, I was crunched from the back, pushed into the car in front of me in the front. The car was brand new and it was worth so much. It was almost totaled. But it was a bad wreck, you know. I wasn't hurt, but I could have been. I could have been killed. Um, you think about all the things that have happened. All the times I flew in airplanes before I entered the church. Just anything. Anything that could have happened if I had died. If I had a brain aneurysm and died before I was in the church, I I cannot say that I would have made it through my particular judgment. How could I how could I possibly expect to have made it through my particular judgment? I I, I don't think I would have. I, I would have died and I would have gone to hell for all eternity. And if you sit and you think about that. Um, that's another thing that just gives you gives you this zeal, and you you're just desperate to tell people, look, I I I don't I don't mean to rain on your parade and I don't mean to make you cry or make you feel bad or anything, but look, you're divorced and remarried, you're living in a state of adultery, um, you've got you have mortal sin. You're, you're publicly living in mortal sin. You've got this publicly on, on your soul. You are outside of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. You are unrepentant of these sins. You're unconfessed of these sins. If you die, if you drive away from me right now and get killed in a car accident, do, do we honestly expect that you are going to make a full and complete renunciation of these sins, which right now, as I'm standing here talking to you, you do not believe are sins. And if I'm saying to you, you know, this this plural marriage that you're in while your first spouse is still alive and you two abandoned each other and procured this bullshit civil divorce and now you're married to somebody else, quote unquote, if I'm standing here saying this to you and you say back to me, you're wrong, I'm not committing a sin, I'm divorced, everything's on the up and up, there's no problem here, you, you right now deny that the mortal sin that you're committing is even sin. Are you telling me that if you go out and you get greased in a car accident, that in that instant while you're bleeding out in your car, that you're going to have a complete change of heart about that, you're going to make a perfect act of contrition. Uh, no, the, the odds of that—it's like what you said last week, super nerd. That's like saying you're you're stuck in the World Trade Center and it collapses, and you're writing the thing down, and you have the expectation that you're going to survive it. No, you're you're almost certainly not going to survive it. It is absolutely imperative that you get right because the odds of you, the odds of you, making a 180 conversion and repenting of what you've done and making an act of contrition so perfect that it suffices for the fact that, yeah, you're baptized, but you, you are outside of of Christ's church. I mean, the, it's, just, it's just almost impossible. It's almost impossible. You've got to get right. You've got to do something. And, you know, people will just people just reject this out of hand it's ridiculous and so as a convert you realize good grief that that could have been me i w- if i had died would i have consciously repented of xy and z thing that i did which which i was doing which i was convinced wasn't sin or didn't care was indifferent about you know just wasn't even on my radar Probably not. And I almost certainly would have gone to hell. Almost certainly. And you and you think back on that and you really ponder it. And it's frightening. And it animates you to want to to explain things to people and help and help other people. You know, I I was helped by books, authors who wrote books, that's what converted me. And so, well, I can write. I, I, I can explain things. In fact, I think I kind of have a knack for explaining things, both written and um, and verbally. Well, given the grace that I was given to not die uh, before I entered the church, then I need to, I need to turn back around and I need to do the same thing for others and do what I can to help if I can. Why wouldn't you want to do that? If God loves these people so much that he went to the cross and died for them, how can I not love them too? If he thought that it was worth it for him to suffer and die on the cross, how can I not think it's worth it to sit down at my computer and, you know, just write up a 2,500-word piece that explains some— core piece of, of Catholic dogma, doctrine and truth. How could I not do that? How could I not be animated to do that? How could I not be excited in a certain sense to do that? Well, that's the question, but you know, I think, especially in these dark days, you know, the spirit of division and so forth, it's its completely, totally to be expected. And, you know, the people who are in, who are on board with the Bergoglian anti-papacy and so on and so forth, man, they, they love this. I mean, he's just hes just dismantling everything. And so now you don't have to confront the people who are divorced and remarried, according to this line of thought, because Bergoglio is just saying it's okay anyway. So, oh, thank goodness, we don't have to have any a- awkward conversation with anybody about the fact that they're adulterers. Um, No. See, he's he's not the Pope. He's the anti-Pope. And yeah, now more than ever, we need to be explaining to people clearly what the truth is, what the law is, why we follow the law, why the law is given to us by God. Because he's saying, look, I love you. You do these things. You hurt yourself. When you hurt yourself, you hurt me. Why do you hurt me? Because I love you. And I'm sitting here watching you destroy your lives and destroy the lives of the people around you. And, and it just breaks my heart. If you're a parent and you have a child who is descended into a life of, you know, methamphetamine use and they're just killing themselves no matter how much crystal meth your kid does that is not going to ever physically impact you as their parent if they get if they get high on crystal meth you don't get high if they're burning you know if they're burning their organs out of their body with crystal meth it has absolutely no effect on you physically whatsoever why does it hurt you as a parent to see your child doing something like that because you love them okay if you can think about it in terms of a parent looking at a child, imagine, imagine the, what God feels looking at us doing these things that so, that so grievously injure ourselves. Um, imagine how God feels looking at the sodomite, committing his filthy acts of sodomy, and how, how destructive that is to the sodomite himself. Imagine God, his infinite love for that, that person, in this case that man, that sodomite, engaging in these horrible sex acts. God loves that person infinitely, died on the cross for that person, knitted that person together, Adam by Adam in the womb of his mother, completely animates and vivifies that person every moment of his life and to see a person so destroy themselves in terms of how, how, how God uh, relates to that. I mean, it's incomprehensible because what we're talking about are infinite quantities here. God is infinite. His love is infinite. The offense is therefore infinite. And it isn't offense uh, in the sense of, you know, the, the sodomite, Uh, how, how to phrase this, that the sodomite is hurting God because people would say, well, we, we can't hurt God. Well, that's right. We can't hurt God, but God loves us. And to watch us do these things to ourselves, that's why he gave us the law. Don't hurt yourself because when you hurt yourself, you hurt me and I love you infinitely. I am God. Please do not hurt me by doing these things to yourself and to others. Um, and I know this has been this has been quite a topic and quite a tangent. But do you have anything you want to add? Or are there any bullet points you thought of, Super Nerd?
0: I don't have the zeal of a convert, so just jumping in. I mean, I'm. I was going to make a joke <laughs> earlier. It's like my my contribution is hosting is facilitating you doing this podcast. But um, no, actually, the 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 Cradle Catholics we we have for the most part been been catechized. But we 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 it, at least for me it's more of a it's more internalized it's not something that I have this burning sense that I need to go out and share with the world even though I should um, if you fall into that group and you have academic academic background to all this at least help out your other Catholics if you can uh, find find the converts who who have this and 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 help them to learn more I mean you can always do something at the very least well, pray. yeah at-
1: That brings up the point of, you know, especially in terms of me with regards to my public position on the Bergoglian anti-papacy. I hear all the time, who in the hell do you think you are? Do you have a degree in theology? Do you have a degree in canon law? You know, and the answer is no, I, I certainly do not. I absolutely do not. And um why is it that you people who have degrees in theology, who have degrees in th- in canon law, why why haven't you explained anything to anyone? Nobody nobody understands anything. Catholics, ethnic Catholics running around are are so illiterate about the faith that a lot of them don't even believe in the divinity of Christ most of them have at this point especially under the age of 40 or so most of them have never even heard of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the eucharist never never even heard about it not that they've heard about it and they've decided not to believe it they've decided to believe that it's just a symbol all they've ever been told and what they what they have uh, quote unquote, figured out just by observing the Novus Ordo mass is that there is no real presence and that it is just a symbol. So where are all of you theologians? Where all are all of you canon lawyers? Why haven't you been explaining any of this to anyone? Why this, why this complete failure? And so you say to me, who in the hell do you think you are? Well, who do I have to be? The Good Shepherd Discourse says that I am responsible for discerning and figuring out the voice, what is the voice of the shepherd, and to not follow faithless hirelings, and to not, not, you know, follow the wolves, for heaven's sake. I also want to point out Canon uh, 748, section 1, which I just posted yesterday, um, and it states the following, this is canon law. All persons are bound to seek the truth in those things which regard God and his church and by virtue of divine law are bound by the obligation and possess the right of embracing and observing the truth which they have come to know. All persons are bound to seek the truth. You cannot be passive in this. How can you say that you love God if you have absolutely no interest in him whatsoever. How can you say that you love God and his church, which is his mystical body? Okay, how can you say that you love him if you have no interest in finding out anything about him? We can only love that which we first Apprehend with our rational intellects. Okay. You can't love something unless you first, you know, know of it and know about it. The more you know of and about something, the more capacity you have to love it. More information about a thing means a greater capacity to love it.
0: That's straight out of St. So, Thomas Aquinas.
1: That's, that's Thomas right there. Okay. So how can you say that? Oh yeah, I love Jesus. And you have no interest whatsoever in, in learning anything about him, learning, learning who he is, what he is, what his church is. How can you, how can you sit back and say, well, you know, this whole deal with what's going on in the Vatican, I just, you know, I'm not, I have no interest. I'm just, I'm just not going to pay attention. I'm just going to focus on me. I'm just going to focus on me. Right. Um, no. How can you say you're not interested in what's going on with regards to the church and and but at the same time say that you love the church. I love the church, but I'm just I'm just not interested. I'm just gonna focus on me. No, all persons are bound to seek the truth in those things which regard God and his church. Canon law, canon seven forty eight. It's right there and it's there because it's the truth. So just change context
0: on that for a little bit and see how much sense it makes. I mean, I love my wife, but I'm not gonna learn anything about her or her or her history or what she oh. likes or anything like that.
1: Can I go off on a tangent? Okay. So, you know, no, 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 no tangents going off on the Barnhart podcast. No, that's not allowed. Okay. So for my entire, my entire life, I have looked at, you know, suburban American women, the kind of women who, you know, I would interact with very tangentially. And every time it seemed to me, I would ask a suburban American woman well, what does your husband do? Oftentimes I would get the response. Well, I don't really know he works in an office. He does, you know, he does something in an office and I would just stand there horrified. You can't show it. You have to internalize it, but just horrified. Hold on. You know, and, and oftentimes it was the case that five minutes earlier, the same woman was complaining about the fact that her husband doesn't talk to her and her husband goes and plays golf on the weekends and husband doesn't do this, husband doesn't do that. Um, and then you ask her, well, what does your husband do for a living? And she doesn't even know. Okay, so wait, let me get this straight. Your husband, this person who you're, you're supposed to be in love with, that you're supposed to love. Gets up in the morning, goes off to an office somewhere, works all day long, comes back home. This is what, you know, subsidizes your, pays all your bills, subsidizes your existence. This is the source of income for your family. This is what your husband does with his entire day. And you're telling me that you don't know what he does and you've just never really been interested enough to ask him about what his job is this is this is just absolutely mind-blowing to me and then at the same time these same women will say well he doesn't pay attention to me and he doesn't he doesn't talk to me yeah because he doesn't want to listen to you sit and talk for hours and hours and hours about you know your stupid clothes that you bought at the mall and your stupid beanie babies that you collect or, or whatever you know, trite, stupid things it is that you want to sit there and bore this guy with. You can't even be bothered to find out what it is that your husband does for a living. I would run into this all the time. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why speaking in general terms now, I vastly prefer the company of men to the company of women because it was it was that kind of experience with women. This complete self-centeredness, you know, just seemingly not interested in what their husbands do, but then expecting their husbands to just have their entire lives revolve around the woman and her her stupid hobbies and this and that. Sounds like Um, a misunderstanding
0: of active participation in marriage.
1: Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well said. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I just I really have never been terribly excited about um, keeping company with women in the way that women normally keep company with each other. I'm just I'm just not into it. I've, I've always found that. Men just t- tend to be more well, well, let's use the word rational you know and there just tends to be better conversation and and I was just always off put from even the even the youngest age from these women who just showed no interest in what their husband I mean you you're you're the same person in the eyes of God. you're the same person in the eyes of God and you don't know what your husband does for a living. You don't know what his day is like, you don't know what he what his tasks are at work, what he's struggling with, what's going on. I mean, come on. This is this is completely this is completely ridiculous. And then when I saw, as as you just pointed out, Thomas saying you can only love something that you have apprehended with your rational intellect first. It's like wow, no re, no wonder, no wonder all of these suburban American marriages are falling apart. The kids graduate from high school, and yeah, the wife takes off. Why? Did, well, she she clearly was lacking in love for her husband because she she never really had the slightest interest in him. As long as he was bringing home the paycheck and doing all of that, meh. Who cares? You know, he, he's just the guy there that parks on the sofa and, uh, and, and supplies the money and subsidizes all of this. But there's no real actual interest in the man. And it can go the other way. I mean, obviously, we can make the critique. How many guys are there that marry the super cute chicky poo? but they only marry her because she's she was physically attractive when she was 19 20, 21 22 years old. nothing in common um, you know nothing to talk about really no shared interests just a, a marriage that was based purely on physical attraction. Um, there's a movie that's really good that 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 confronts this question. It's the movie Juno, which is from 2007 and it's kind of cited as, you know a quasi pro life movie long story short sixteen year old high school girl um gets pregnant decide goes to the abortuary, and says, "Oh man, no way, I'm not doing this, I'm having the baby. It isn't even a question. okay, hilarity ensues, but one of the things that happens is that she finds an adoptive couple in in the newspaper, hooks up with this adoptive couple, and as it turns out um the husband really has nothing in common with the woman that he married. He married her because she was super cute. She's played by Jennifer Garner and the husband is played by Jason Bateman. And also as it turns out, the Jason Bateman, the adoptive father character can just talk can talk for hours with the pregnant teenage girl. They have the same taste in music, they have the same sort of sense of humor and it's it's horrible, but the the potential adoptive father. I don't know if he falls in love with, with the 16 year old girl, but he he resolves to leave his wife and get divorced because he realizes he has absolutely nothing in, in common with this woman. And it's it's a it's a really it's a movie to watch because it's it makes you think and it's a really good conversation starter. And it speaks to the fact that so many people do in fact get married and yes almost all marriages are valid when you say till death do us part you know what that means sorry but almost all marriages are valid um but so many people enter into these marriages they don't have anything in common with their spouse and just really have no no interest in in intellectually apprehending uh the person so that they may love them more and more and more the more you know the more you can love um it, it's it's very sad and it and it's an interesting commentary on this this fallen culture that we're in right now
0: very sad and at the same time very common unfortunately
1: very common and i'm getting ready to write um either today or maybe tomorrow i'm going to write a piece about uh, about divorce and the, the the true dynamics of divorce, and the punchline of the entire essay is going to be very simply this: You got married you 're almost certainly validly married. If you, your spouse, or both of you mutually decide to abandon the marriage and get a civil divorce you 're done you cannot you cannot expect that you can then ever in, enter into a romantic relationship with anyone ever again that's the truth and that's what no one will say to you that's what nobody in the in the church will say to you cuz they're terrified they're going to scare you off but i'll say it if you get divorced you're done you're not getting remarried because you're still married. You're not entering into any more romantic relationships whatsoever because that will be the mortal sin of adultery. You're done. If you don't want to live with your spouse anymore, well, uh, that that in and of itself is a sin too unless unless, you know, you're being beaten or something like that. Um, or oh, even even
0: then, the marriage does not end. It's it's just a separation. And there, there's a book by yeah. there's a book by Fulton Sheen called Three to Get Married," and the third there is God Himself. Uh, when when mm-hmm. the when the couple gets married, it's a three party arrangement. So if the two of you decide to abandon each other, you are also very directly abandoning God, and you can pretty much kiss your your chances for heaven goodbye at that point as well. Uh, That's right. God is not going to um, take that one lightly.
1: Exactly, and um, you know, there it, before before the asteroid hit in the middle of the 20th century, if you wanted, let let's say for example that a woman is being beaten by her husband, what she would do is she would have to go to the bishop and get permission to live separately from her husband, not get a divorce, but live separately for for her own physical protection and well being. But the understanding is is you're still married, you you. You have no freedom or liberty whatsoever to engage in any other romantic relationship of any stripe, even though your husband is a jerk who beat you. It it, it doesn't matter. You end up getting bamboozled by a sociopath and you end up marrying a sociopath. Well, I'm sorry, but you married a sociopath. You you're done. You cannot engage in any other romantic relationships, and um, this is what this is what nobody will talk about. This is what no one will say, and the reason why this whole culture of these rubber stamp bullshit bullshit annulments has happened since the middle of the 20th century and the infiltration of the church is because it's this spirit of effeminacy that you don't want to, you know, bear any suffering or bear any hardship. And so these, these, Horrible, horrible clergy! You know these wolves in 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 the guise of shepherds. They're lying to you, and they're telling you, "Oh yes, yes, you you need to move on. I'll give you this rubber stamp annulment." Which which understand what an annulment says? It says you were never ever married at all. Well, no, that's not true. Almost every marriage is valid. the The conditions that someone has, the hoops that someone has to jump through to invalidate a marriage are 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 pretty specific and pretty incredible. For example, let's say, um, a woman marries a guy and the guy has had a vasectomy. Okay. He has physically sterilized himself, but he doesn't tell his fiance and then wife this. So the, the woman marries the man entering into this marriage saying, Oh, okay, this is great. We're gonna have a bunch of kids. Blah, 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 blah. And, it, and the the man has committed an act of fraud by having sterilized himself and not told and not told the woman, his fiance and then wife. Well, that is something that would invalidate a marriage. The other things that would invalidate a marriage is if, you know, if you were related to each other, whether you knew it or not, you know, um, if, if someone, I mean, that's something that's come into play recently too, is that there's all these, um, You know, the mortal sin of these in vitro fertilizations and sperm banks and all of this there it is. It is possible now in this day and age that two people could meet fall in love and get married and then lo and behold come to discover that they're maybe half siblings it's happened, and it, it will continue to happen, and it will continue to happen more frequently. Okay, you were never married. That invalidates. Christ never came and participated in you joining together because Christ knew that you were uh, that you were related to each other. Christ never came and joined the, the girl who married the guy with the vasectomy because Christ knew that the guy had had a vasectomy and he was defrauding the woman. So Christ never came and joined you two together. That's what an annulment is. An annulment is not Catholic divorce. And so if, if, um, if people separate and, and live apart, you're done. No more romantic relationships. Ah, that puts a different spin on it. Now people are going to start thinking a long and hard about who they're marrying in the first place. And they're going to think long and hard about whether or not they actually want to get divorced. The reason why people are so quick to get divorced is because they think, well, I can just go. I'm, oh, I'm single now. And I'm going to, I'm going to go back out into the dating pool and I'm going to find somebody better. And it's, and now it's going to be even better. No, that's adultery. That's mortal sin. You get divorced. get divorced. You're done, and so that's something that I'm going to focus on this week on the blog.
0: And there is a group called Mary's Advocates that, uh, among yes. many of other things, they they point out that the current code of canon law requires couples to get permission from the bishop to even separate, much less um, get a civil divorce, even in the case of a of a um, a valid situation. Um, yeah, I believe it's still in canon law. It's a mortal sin to divorce without the bishop's permission. I don't know that particular for sure, but there, yeah, there there is the sad situation where uh, spouses are abandoned. And go back to what I just said a minute ago about about the the, the, mar- the Catholic marriage being a three party arrangement. Even mm-hmm. in a situation like that, when your spouse abandons you, Christ doesn't, and you still have the ability to gain the the, the sacramental grace every single day as a married person even though your specific cross at that point is putting up with the fact that your spouse has abandoned you.
1: And beyond that, um, let us hasten to add that the divorce codes and the divorce laws now, no fault divorce, so on and so forth, in the post-Christian Western world are stacked completely against the man, completely and totally against the man. So there are many, many men in the US right now particularly those in middle age or late middle age who are kind of in that in that baby boomer generation whose wives have abandoned them the man had to hand over 50% of his total estate and then some of them ended up having to write alimony checks to the wife who abandoned the marriage for 50% of the, of the pre-tax income, sometimes for life. And you know what? That is, that is a sickening, sickening injustice. It is grossly unfair, but it does not entitle you to commit adultery by entering into any other sort of a romantic relationship with another woman. Even though your wife abandoned you, Sometimes out of the blue, just completely unannounced and out of the blue. Um, I know of a man who was married for 30 years, married in the old right. And they, of course, they stopped practicing Catholicism very early on in their marriage. And after 30 years of marriage, the wife abandoned him while he was on a business trip, came back to the office, divorce papers were served to him, At his office, he gets in the car and goes home, and his house is empty. He had absolutely no idea; never saw it coming. Is it unfair? Of course, it's unfair. It doesn't change anything. You're still married. I don't care. I don't care that you lost fifty percent of your estate. I don't care that you had to write those monthly alimony checks. It doesn't matter. You're still married. You do not have the freedom, liberty, or license to engage in any other romantic relationship, period, full stop. Because if you do, it's adultery. And uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrible what's being done, especially to men in this, in this day and age. And they say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. And my response to them is to, is to point to a crucifix and say, you know what? You wanna see something that's not fair. That's God, perfect, perfect. Truth, beauty, justice, infinite love, sinless, incarnated for us, nailed to a cross, whipped until he was skinned, and then nailed to a cross. T- tell me more about how your situation is unfair. Is it as unfair as Christ crucified? Is it more unfair, do you believe, than Christ, Christ crucified? And that tends to end the, end the conversation, so this whole notion of well, that's not fair, you know dispensing you from any sort of, of moral norms or certainly dispensing you from the sixth commandment itself, nope, sorry, that argument just simply does not hold water. I
0: suppose it is sort of fitting in a way that uh, we ended up on a topic of, of, about marriage, uh, starting out from the the topic <laughs> of converts, considering that most of the people converting. To Catholicism these days are coming from the Protestant world, which all started over uh, problems of marriage. So, exactly. so, Even though this is tangents to tangents to tangents in this episode, uh, it all really kind of ties together.
1: And the pro- I mean Protestantism from both sides. It it was about it was about marriage ultimately because obviously Henry the Eighth and and all of that wanting to get divorced and remarried et cetera et cetera, um, but also. Uh, I continue to be shocked at how many Lutherans don't know this. The entire uh, impetus behind Luther, his schism, his heresy, the entire impetus behind it is that he was having sex with a nun named Katerina von Bora, and he wanted wanted to be able to to marry and have sex with this woman and apparently other women also as well. He has a famous quote that if, you know, if your wife says she has a headache, then let the maid come. Um, he, he was a despicable human being. And also the all the Lutheran Protestantism, all of that side of it, it's exactly the same thing. It's about the sixth commandment. Um, so both sides of Protestantism have to do with this and also this, this anti-papacy and this, um, apostate, apostate anti-church that we see ascending, forming, growing, and coming to fruition right before our very eyes. Again, going back to prophecy, going back to Fatima, it all has to do with marriage and the family. That is the that is the key issue that Satan uses against us. So, yep, we made a full circle,
0: and we're about a full hour and a half as well.
1: Which, Woo! Uh, new that, record, new record. That'll
0: make up for the fact that it's just one podcast this week. Uh, sorry about That's no right. financial Friday last week, and probably not one this week either of, uh, because of because uh, of uh, scheduling uh, con- uh, conflicts. But uh, just to generally wrap, uh, general reminders, Masses for Anne's benefactors are Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and now Thursdays as well.
1: And Thursday! As well as
0: the weekly Requiem. Please join your intentions to these Masses. The email address for the podcast, if you have questions, comments, feedback, is podcast at barnhart.biz. This podcast is produced by Super Nerd Media. If you found value in this episode and would like to return some value, you can donate to me at supernerdmedia.com slash donate. I want to specifically thank some recent donors, Jane, Richard, Amanda, Gerald, Eric, Susan, Stephen, Laura, and Joel. Uh, Some of them figured out how to send a donation without PayPal getting a cut. Thank you very much for your generosity. Uh, That definitely helps uh, fund the contingency plans uh, in case we needed to uh, invoke those. And Anne won't say this, but I will. Please pray for Anne. Uh, if you've seen some of the emails that she posts on the website or some of the things we've talked about here, you know she's reaching people, affecting souls, bringing people closer to God, so you can absolutely be certain that her targeting profile is higher uh, than it ever has been uh, with, with the demonic forces, both in hell and on earth. So keep her in your prayers. Not that nobody needs prayers, but you know, if, if you are reaching people, you are definitely going to get, gonna get uh, targeted for special treatment. Um, any other... Um, considerations or ideas or anything else you want to, you want to leave with this weekend?
1: Just reiterating my undying gratitude to one and all, um, benefactors, supporters, people who do support with the prayers. And thank you for that. Thank you for saying that super nerd. I really appreciate that. And, um, just, I, I can't thank you all enough and we're going to keep going as hard as we can. We're not quitting. We're going to keep going um, come hell or high water and <laughs> hot, high water might be literal. We'll, we'll see how things go.
0: Yes. Uh, and until next week, I am Super Nerd.
1: And I'm Thanks, guys. God bless.